0: Hey, what's up everybody? This is Pastor David with We Are Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways that we do that is through the reading and teaching of the Word of God. So I pray that this challenges you to take your faith to the next level and that you find freedom in every area that you are seeking. Enjoy the message. And so we've been talking about that week one. Uh, we talked about how as believers, we've been given every spiritual blessing under heaven, that everything that we need to become who God has called us to, to be and accomplish what God has called us to accomplish is already within us. Right. That, uh, that, that when you were born again at spiritual conception within your spiritual DNA was deposited every single thing that you ever needed to become who God has called you to be. Right. But it's up to us. To know that that is inside of us, to know what's inside us, to grow what's inside of us and to guard what's inside of us. Right. That There comes a season where we have to know that God has placed some things inside of my life that make me an overcomer. God has placed some things inside of my life that give me the ability to step into dark places with the light of Jesus and watch lives be changed. God has given me the ability that's already inside of me. Right. But it is up to me to me and my responsibility to develop the gifts that God has placed inside of me, right? And then I also have to guard what God has placed inside of me because the enemy is not dumb. The enemy recognizes the gifts, the talents, the skills, the anointing, the power that God has placed inside of you. And if you do not guard it and live a life in purity, seeking the face of God, the enemy will destroy everything that God has called you to do. And so we got to guard it with everything that we have, knowing that we have an enemy. And he is after those things that God has placed placed inside of you and inside of me. The second week, we talked about some of the foundational blessings that God gave us and what it is that enables us as believers to walk in who God has called us to be first and foremost. We talked about how, how God chose us, that we're chosen people, right? That it isn't that we chose him, it's that he first chose us, that if we even have the ability to, to accept Jesus Christ into our lives, it's because God chose us, that he called us. It was him wooing us to himself the whole entire, the, the whole entire time. This is what makes it different about every, what makes Christianity different. Than any other religion is that you, every other religion is what you can do to one day possibly make it into the kingdom, in, in, into heaven, right? But, but Christianity is God coming down here and doing what, what, he could, what you couldn't do for yourself simply because he chose you. Because he chose you. Second, we talked about how he adopted us. He chose us and then he adopted us. We got the, the, we, we've been given the spirit of adoption that God took us out of our natural physical families and placed us into a new family of God and that, and that we, we find our identity first and foremost in understanding that we are chosen and that God first chose us, right? But that we find more of our identity within within the family that God has placed us in, right? So when God gave us the blessing of adopting us and, and becoming children of God, not only did, 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 did we did we get the blessing of having him as our heavenly father, but we got... The blessing of having heavenly brothers and sisters in Christ, that it's the family of God that God has placed us. It's the second greatest blessing that God could ever give any of us is a family in Christ. Brothers and sisters who will walk through fire with you. So he chose us, he adopted us, and then we talked about how he redeemed us. That he redeemed us, that he paid the price for us to walk in freedom. He paid the price for us to walk in freedom. We got to understand these type of things, that I can walk different when I know that God chose me and that I'm chosen and whatever he has chosen me for, whatever work he has called me for, I don't have to walk in in, in timidness. I don't have to worry whether or not I'm going to miss the mark or whether I'm going to have what it takes to do what God has called me to do. If God chose me and he picked me out of everybody else to accomplish this specific work, then I can walk with the confidence knowing that I'm not in this alone, but I'm in this because God picked me and he knew exactly who he needed for the job. Right. And that he adopted me. I don't have to do it by alone because he placed me within a family of God, a brothers and sisters that will walk through fire with me, that will encourage me, that will call me out of my timidness and into boldness and into courage and into victory. Right. We got to understand that that not only did he do that, but he redeemed us, that he paid a price so that we could walk in freedom. There ain't a devil in hell that can that can that can keep us bound, that can keep us in change. But but he paid the price for me to walk out of darkness and into light and into freedom. And then he gave us spiritual insight into the mysteries of God. That somehow when you're brought into the family of God, your eyes are open to the mysteries of God. Things that you were incapable of seeing, you can now see. That he gives you the spirit of illumination so that when you read the scriptures, it isn't just words on the page, but it's actually words that bring life into you, that cleanse you, that strengthen you, right? You have, you have insight into the, to, 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 to the kingdom of heaven to understand things in the heavenly realms that you're incapable of seeing in the natural realm. And he gives you spiritual insight so that you can understand his plans. Not just for you, not just for me, but for everybody that God has called And all of these foundational blessings and works of God are completed and sealed. We talked about he sealed them with the Holy Spirit. This is the completion, the fullness of the God, the Godhead, that God, the father did his job by sending his son down here to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus, the son of God, did his job by remaining on the cross and not getting off of the cross so that you could walk in freedom. And then the, 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 the Holy Spirit was placed inside of you to seal you and complete the Godhead in you. It's the, it's the fullness, the completion of the work of God so that you can walk in the finished work of God. So that you can walk in the finished work of God. And we're going to jump into chapter two today. Got 10 verses on here. We're going to try to make it through here. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through four says this. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them. We too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, Paul is going to talk extensively about the grace of God. He is going to lay a picture before you about just how magnificent and inexhaustible the grace of God is. He is going to break the, the grace of God down in such a way that you will understand that it is not by you. There's nothing you could ever do to earn the grace of God. The work that has taken place in your life has nothing to do with you. But everything good that is happening in your life because you believe in Jesus Christ is happens by the grace of God. And he's about to lay the foundation of how your whole entire faith is shaped and formed. By the grace of God. But in order for Paul to do that, he first lays this backdrop of sin. So in other words, it's almost like grace is a diamond and sin is 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 the black cloth that you would place behind the diamond. When when the diamond is placed in front of a black cloth, it shines brighter than it does when it is. And so Paul is about to lay the foundation of what sin does and what it accomplishes in your life. And who you were before you met Christ. And he's about to remind you of what your life looked like in darkness and in misery and in death and in sin. And he's about to lay this foundation of this so that you can truly understand just how magnificent his grace is. And he says this, you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Paul starts out by saying you are dead in your offenses and your sins. Although our bodies die every, every day, our bodies are dying. They're aging in the physical realm. Paul is talking about something other than that. Paul is saying that you were dead in your offenses and your sins ultimately what he's saying is you were spiritually dead before christ you were spiritually dead every single one of us i've broke this down multiple times but every single one of us are, are made up of three parts body soul and spirit your body is your physical makeup obviously your soul is your unique identity, your mind, will, and emotions. It's how you think. It's how you react emotionally. It's, it, it, it's everything about you that, 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 that makes you move and, and shapes who you are. Your, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And then we're made up of spirit as well. This is the God consciousness in each and every one of us. This is the connecting point to God. In other words, when Paul says that you were dead, In your sins and in your trespasses, he's saying that you may have been alive physically, but spiritually you were dead. Apart from Christ, you you are incapable of connecting and communicating with God. He said you were dead and you needed to be revived spiritually. And then he says this, he says, because you were dead. Because you were dead in which you previously walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them. We, too, all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. And so Paul talks about us being spiritually dead. And then he says this. He says there's three things that keep us spiritually dead that are like locks on a coffin that, that keep you from waking up and becoming alive spiritually. He says, first and foremost, the cor- course of the world, he said, in which you previously walked according to the course of the world. He said the, when you follow the ways and the patterns of this world, when the world is, 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 is what moves you. When you just follow the crowd and whatever this world says to do and you do it. When the world tells you this is right and you believe this is right and when you, when you follow the truth and what the world seems to call reality that really isn't reality, this keeps you dead when you follow the patterns, customs and patterns of the world. Second thing that he says is a lock to the coffin that keeps you dead spiritually is Satan, according to the prince of the power of the air. And then he says the lust of the flesh. Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh and so paul says because you live a life of sin and because you're spiritually dead you're dominated by these three these three things the course of the world Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air and the lust of the flesh. Whatever the flesh says to do, you do. Whatever the flesh says, feed. Whenever the flesh tells you to feed it, you feed it. If, if, if the lust wants you to, if, if the lust of the flesh wants you to be greedy and hoard money, you're going to be greedy and hoard money. You're going to steal, you're going to rob, you're going to do whatever it takes to, 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 to get more. You're not going to give, you're just going to, you're just going to feed the lust of the flesh. If, if your flesh tells you to commit, a, commit adultery, then you're going to commit adultery. You feed the lust of the flesh. And Paul is saying that the lust of the flesh is something that keeps you spiritually dead right he said but you were that way he's speaking to a people who has now been awakened spiritually inside of their spirit spiritually they have been awakened and God has broke the locks off of the coffin and they have been made alive but he said the result of living like that and being dominated by that made us sons of disobedience He said of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature, children of wrath, just as the rest. So Paul lays this backdrop of sin and death. A picture of each and every one of us being trapped in a coffin, dead, spiritually dead. Walking zombies, incapable of connecting to and communicating with God. Following the course of the world, not being able to break out of the patterns and customs of the world, dominated and controlled by Satan, destroyed and beat down every single day by Satan and living in the lust of our flesh, feeding it whatever it desired. And the result of that was us being sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Then these next two words right here are the most beautiful words written the whole entire Bible. Verse 4, but God. But God. Every miraculous story worth telling has these two words. My story and your story never ever changes for the good unless we have the words but God in, the, in, in that story. And I don't know where your place was in your walk, or at what moment you broke down and surrendered your life to God. I don't know what your desperation looks. I don't know what your spiritual death looks like. A lot of y'all know my story. My, my my spiritual death was me sitting in a motel room with a trash bag of clothes, a needle, and a spoon incapable of paying for the motel room the next day because I couldn't stop shooting dope in my veins. And I broke down and cried, cried, cried out to Jesus and he set me free and he rescued me. But the turning point of my life happened when those words came into my life. But God, I was a drug addict, but God changed and transformed me I was a horrible daddy but God changed and transformed me I was incapable of breaking free from the things that destroyed my life but God but God he says but God Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our wrongdoings made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmen. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul says, Your salvation from start to finish is made possible by grace. Grace is the overwhelming, unmerited inexhaustible goodness of God. It's the inexhaustible goodness of God. It's the one thing that is deposited in your spiritual bank account that will never never run out. It'll never run out no matter how much you need it, how many times you got to go back to it. That will never run out. The grace of God is always in your spiritual bank account because he knows just how much you need of it. There's two types of grace. There's common grace and there's saving grace. Common grace is received by both sinners and saints. For instance, God is no longer going to flood the earth because he has children who believe in him living in the earth now. So because he has children that believe in him he will not flood the earth so even a person who doesn't believe in God and chooses not to walk in the ways of God and wants nothing to do with God and has rejected God and is against God God will not flood the earth because he has children here so we both get to experience the grace in that way both the sinner and the saint you see what i'm saying but saving grace is the second type of grace saving grace can only be experienced by the believer the the the, the grace that that saves us and makes us alive in Christ can only be experienced by the believer and Paul says that this saving grace accomplishes three different things and those are the three things I'm going to talk about today Paul says that the saving grace accomplishes three things number one it makes us alive in Christ it makes us alive in Christ he says it made us alive together with Christ this work of grace spiritually awakens us and enables us to connect and communicate with God In other words, your spirit man is revived when you accept Jesus Christ as as your Lord and Savior. Today, a spiritual conception within you, your spirit is revived and you are now able to connect and communicate with God. So we have direct access to God 24/7. We don't have to go to a priest or a prophet if we want to talk to God. Let me just say that to you. You don't have to go to a priest or a prophet. If you want to talk to God within you is is, is the ability to to, to connect with God spiritually. When you are made alive in in Christ, you are given the, the, the ability to connect and communicate with God. And it says he made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. You're going to see this statement alive with Christ, with Christ, with Christ. You're going to see it all the time in the Bible. Paul is going to constantly talk about being alive and being made together with Christ and in Christ and with Christ and and in Christ. You're going to hear this this concept 24-7 that we're made alive together with Christ. The second thing that this grace does is it exalts us. It exalts us. It says it made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised up with him and seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This scripture right here that it made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and it raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus i love this whole concept of not 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 god not just saving us and just leaving us where we are but 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 he exalts us he raises us up he he picks us up out of out of out of our, our, the muck and the mess that we are stuck in and we're not, no longer stuck and bound by natural circumstances but god raises us up into heavenly places and we now have the ability to take our eyes off of what we see in the natural realm because we've been elevated to heavenly places. This is a concept that the enemy does not want you to grasp, church, I'm telling you. He doesn't want you to understand that you do not have to stay stuck and operate in the physical realm. If you've ever experienced it, if you've ever entered into the presence of God in in a secret place when you were crying out to God and when you were worshiping and when you were praying, then you understand this concept where somehow you move outside of your, your natural, self and into a heavenly place and all of a sudden you can feel that inexhaustible grace wash over you and poured into you and experience the peace and the power and the strength that can only come from God this is because you moved out of the physical realm and into the to the supernatural heavenly realm has anybody ever experienced that I know I'm not the only person right but this is a concept that the enemy doesn't want you to to understand he wants to to keep you straining and striving and focused here in the natural realm, I say it all the time, you cannot take you, you, you cannot take natural things into the heavenly realms, but you can take supernatural things into your, your natural circumstances. Right. This is why Paul is constantly reminded and this this term heavenly places is used five times in the New Testament and all of it is in the book of Ephesians. Because he's talking to a healthy church that fully understands this. Remember, we talked about He's I'm writing to God's holy and faithful, fo- holy people and faithful followers of Christ Jesus. So he's writing to a church who has got it right. Nowhere in the book of Ephesians does Paul have to correct any anybody. Now, you go all the way over to Revelations and, 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 and Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus and talks about how they had fallen away from their first love and had become lukewarm. But at this point, when Paul is writing, these people are. Are, are, are turning their world upside down. They got it so right that when Paul was in Ephesus, that, that, that a riot broke out because as they began to go through the streets after they've been encountering the, the, the presence of God and, and, and being hit with the gospel and people being set free, it, it made all of the people who were uh, selling idols went bankrupt. So it caused an uproar in the city because this was a place where everybody worshiped these Greek gods. And now all of a sudden they're having to shut down businesses because the gospel is spreading so fast in Ephesus. And the church of God is looking so different from everything around it when everybody else is living for themselves to to, to satisfy the lust of the flesh. And and, and living in the ways of the world like like Paul is mentioning of how we once lived when we were dead in our trespasses, right? This is what Ephesus looked like. A Roman port city of of, of, of of that was rich, and that everybody came in and out, and they had all of these Greek gods, and all of a sudden people are having to shut down their businesses. Why? Not because it's a recession, because because where they live, the imports and exports bringing lots of money through the city. Twenty thousand seat colosseums in in Ephesus. This place was was immaculate. But they're having to shut down their businesses because the gospel is spreading so fast and people are they, they, they were bringing everything that they worship their idols and their books of sorcery and they were b- making big piles of it and they were burning them and businesses literally had to shut down. Can y'all imagine that here in Nashville, Tennessee? Businesses having to shut down because the gospel is spreading so fast and people are encountering this supernatural power of God from people who understand that we don't have to operate in physical realms, but that we can operate in heavenly realms. And he says. That he has made us alive together with Christ by grace, you, by, by grace, you have been saved and you've been raised up with him and seated. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says he seated us with Christ in, in, in the heavenly places. Anybody know where Christ is seated right now? At the right hand of God, given all what? All authority, right? So if we've been seated in heavenly places next to Jesus, who was at the right hand of Father, given all authority, what does that mean for us? Huh? Yeah, exactly. And that means we have been given all authority because we're seated next to Jesus. And so when I think I ran out of mind, I'm next to Jesus in the heavenly realms. This is something I'm telling y'all. The enemy does not want y'all to grasp this and understand this. We got to understand what is given to us I Man, we're talking about these riches. These spiritual riches that are given to us, this is what makes us, gives us the ability to not follow the ways of the world and try to build up our own little kingdoms right here and right now. This is what makes us understand what truly matters, making a difference in this world and spreading the gospel and giving them the only thing that can truly transform and change their life. It's these things right here that make us understand that we don't store up our treasures here on earth, but we store up our treasures in heaven. We got to understand this, that that this is what is truly given to us. Verse 7 says, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So not only does he pour out his grace for us in our circumstances right now, but so that in the ages to come. Meaning generations and generations and generations and generations from now, people will be able to look at the, the kindness and grace that he displayed towards us that we are right now still looking at the grace that he poured out on the disciples 2000 plus years ago. Being able to understand because God was so gracious 2,000 plus years ago, we too today get to walk in that same grace and that same kindness and that same inexhaustible favor and grace that that, that they walked in 2,000 plus years ago. But when he's saying in the ages to come, he's talking about generations and generations and generations all the way back to the return of Christ when sin is eradicated and we live in the new Jerusalem. So in other words, what he's given us today is just a down payment of grace compared to Nothing compared to what we will receive in the ages to come. He said that he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, he gives us grace now so that later he can shower us with grace. That when there is no more sin and there isn't any more tears and any more pain and there is no no wickedness, wickedness is, is completely abolished. Then we get to he gets to just shower us. With his grace. And then Paul reminds us again, verse eight, for for by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Reminding us again, this is not something that you can earn. It isn't something you can buy. You can't manufacture it. You can't produce it. You can simply walk in it, live in it and receive it. Why? So that none of you can boast. And the reality is that sometimes we get to places in our life where we think we got ourselves here. You see how faithful I am, y'all? Right? This is on my life because I'm faithful. The reason I can communicate the way I can is because, because I work hard to communicate this. It might be true. That I study because God has given me the gift of communicating the gospel. That I that I study, I watch my sermons, and I look for places where I can communicate better. And I'm I'm watching gifted teachers and gifted preachers, and I'm trying to grow in, in, in my theology so that I can so that I can deliver the gospel in a greater way and explain the context and break down the word of God and rightly divide the word of truth as I give it to you. Yeah, this, this is true, but 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 I didn't get myself here to begin with. At any given moment, God can remove the anointing from my life and every word that comes forth from my lips will be in vain. It won't have the anointing on it. It won't accomplish anything. And it won't produce any kind of spiritual fruit in your lives. I didn't get myself here. So I got to remember this, that I did not get myself here. And Paul's constantly reminding myself, David, you can keep struggling. You can keep stressing on whether or not you're going to be able to prepare the message and how many times you got to communicate it. But don't forget that my grace is, 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 is what supplies you with everything that you need to begin with. But the enemy wants you to keep struggling and straining and striving instead of striding. He don't want you to understand the fullness of what it means to live in the grace of God. He don't want you to be immersed in that one thing that you that 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 one thing that you cannot earn. He wants you to keep trying to earn your way into the presence of God. Earn your way into right standing. Earn your way into greater gifts and greater skills. He doesn't want you to understand what you've already been given. He doesn't want you to have the ability to to just simply rest in it, abide in it, and walk in it. Third and main point. So his grace makes us alive in Christ. It exalts us. And third, it empowers us. It empowers us. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. This word that Paul uses here, workmanship, comes from the Greek word workmanship. Poeia. It's where we get the word poem from. We get the word poem from this. It literally means it means masterpiece. It's something that God put a lot of thought and intention and, and, and put his hands all over. And, and, and he's working and he's he's crafting and it's, it's his masterpiece as if he, he he made his greatest piece of art. And stepped back and looked at it and said, this is my masterpiece, the greatest work that I've ever done. If you've ever spent time writing poems or writing songs or using some kind of gift or skill that you have to just spend all of this time and, and energy and emotion into and so, so, much, so much thought. You ever step back and look at something and say, man, this is the greatest thing that I've ever, I've ever created. This is, this is what he's talking about. We are his, we're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. It's a recreation of God taking something that was broken, sometimes breaking it so that he can put it back together. But in Christ Jesus. So in Christ and through Christ, he put his hands all over your life and made the most beautiful thing this world has ever seen. To take somebody broken and heal them and restore them. And do more for them than they could ever do to take somebody who's been beaten down from this life and make them a conqueror and an overcomer and give them the victory and the anointing and the power to take somebody who is timid and frail and constantly walking in anxiety and social but somehow place the spirit of God inside of them pour his anointing on them and give them a boldness to walk in rooms and deliver the gospel and lay hands on the sick and watch them get up and, and and walk and take somebody who has been beaten down by this world and have that person literally walk into the pits of hell and snatch people out of darkness with the light of Jesus this is his workmanship you're his, his masterpiece there's nothing more beautiful in this world than that but you're not just a piece of art that sits on the shelf he said we're his masterpiece created in christ jesus for good works and these good works he's talking about he said good works which god prepared See, the world can, can 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 do good works, but this isn't what what, what what Paul is talking about. Anybody can feed the homeless. Anybody can go out and hand out groceries. Anybody can 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 hand somebody money on the streets. Right. But that's not that's not always a God work. Sometimes it's a good work, but it's not the same as a God work. He says these are works that God prepared beforehand for you. These are works that you are walking in that God has literally prepared beforehand for you. So, the reason and purpose of His grace. Wasn't just so that he could shower his grace on you, but it was so that that grace could continue for boundless and boundless ages so that you could walk in the works that he already prepared before. You are his masterpiece, but you were never meant to sit on a shelf, but you were meant to get up and and, and walk in the same works that he has called you to walk in for good works. He's called you to walk in. He said, God, prepared these beforehand so you don't have to wonder. What is it that I'm supposed to do? You simply have to walk. And when you see a need, meet it. When he tells you to pray, you pray. When he tells you pick up the phone, even though it's late and I know you're tired and you had a bad day and you want to go to bed, that person needs you. You pick up their phone and you you meet the need because that's a good work that God has has, has prepared beforehand for you. But I tell you, I, I walk through a lot of different doors to get to the door that I'm. That I walked through to plant this church and it wasn't just, it wasn't, they weren't necessarily wrong doors. I just did what God had placed in front of me, church. We got to stop overcomplicating this and wondering, man, God, how come it feels like I'm, I'm missing the marker. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. You do us in front of you. You do us in front of you and you be faithful to what's in front of you. And you understand that God prepared these beforehand and you will get where God has called you. you said, where do I go? Jesus said, I am the way. You follow Jesus and you do us in front of you. You follow Jesus and you do us in front of you. For me, my first time actually in public ministry, aside from being in jail and having a ministry in there and having Bible studies, my first public ministry, I'm on a city bus and the Lord tells me to go get out of the city bus and pray for this woman. I'm like hundreds of people out here. No, that wasn't the Lord. No, I got to go. I'm going to be late. If, if I get off this bus and I'm late to drug court, I'm going to get rolled up. And I'm going to get in trouble. So I know that's not the Lord. The Lord would not let me. He said, he told me, you ain't going to sleep at all tonight. If you don't get off this bus and lay hands on that woman and, and pray for her, like I told you, you will not, you ain't going, I'm not going to let you sleep tonight. And I was like, dang, I'm not walking away feeling like I, I didn't do what God told me to do. So I said, hey, y'all, I'll be right back. If the bus tries to leave, try to tell the bus driver to stay. I got up and I ran out. And I said, hey, I know this is crazy. I said, I've never done this before. I said, but man, I'm sitting on the bus. And the Lord told me to get out. And to pray for you. And the Lord started giving me a word of knowledge. I said, the Lord just want me to tell you that he sees what you're doing right now. He's so happy with the decisions that you're making. And I just started to affirm her. You're headed in the right direction. The Lord wants to know that he's with you and that he loves. She broke down. She started crying and and she was on her way. She left her kids with a family member and was headed to a a faith-based rehab in Kentucky. And she was feeling so guilty and with so much shame because she was leaving her kids behind. But the Lord wanted her to know, I'm with you. You're making the the right decisions. I'm happy with the choices that you made. And and the Lord wanted me to affirm that to her because she might not have got on the bus to head where the Lord was going to have have her go. And she broke down and she started crying and she hugged me and I was gave her a hug and I was like, look, I got to go right now. I was like. But I just wanted to do what the Lord told me. And I got back on the bus and everybody on there that was from drug court was like, man, you're so bold. You're so bold. I was like, bro, that was the Lord. I didn't want to do that, you know. But I did what was in front of me. That was a good work. That the Lord prepared beforehand. He knew I was going to get locked up and end up at Davidson County Drug Court and then let out on work release to have to. He knew I'd be on that city bus. He knew which person would be, would be willing to get off of the bus and go and lay hands and let that woman know that she was headed in the right direction. This was a work prepared beforehand. So we're sensitive to what God is telling us. When God, when we see the need, we meet the need. That's a work God prepared beforehand. And he says, so that you would walk in them. We don't have to overcomplicate this Christian walk, church. I'm so sick of seeing this overcomplicated hyperspiritualism that we see everywhere. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? You just do what's in front of you, church. That's it. Amen. bow our heads. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about We Are Church, connect with We Are Church, or feel led to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on all social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you, and have a great week.